0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards.
1: Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You could be one step closer to a safer summer family trip. The lead starts right now. The FDA on the verge of authorizing the COVID vaccine for teens and tweens, but will enough vaccine hesitants adults change their minds and embrace the science to cut this virus down? Lie or bye-bye? Liz Cheney's days in GOP leadership may be numbered as the top House Republican today says she's out of step with her party because she refuses to lie about the 2020 election and the January 6th insurrection. Plus, CNN at Sea, our reporter on a boat north of the Black Sea as Vladimir Putin tests the Ukrainian Navy and the United States. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start with breaking news in our health lead today. Moments ago, President Biden set a new ambitious goal in the fight against coronavirus, announcing his target to have 70 percent of American adults with at least one dose of a COVID vaccine by the 4th of July. That's in just two months. Right now, the number is just above 56 percent of American adults who have had at least one shot. and Even the White House is admitting today there will be major challenges in achieving this, including reducing vaccine hesitancy and increasing access to underserved communities. We're already getting major news today about how soon children may be vaccinated against coronavirus. A government official saying the FDA could authorize the Pfizer vaccine for kids 12 to 15 years of age within days, just as the company announced a timeline for vaccinating kids as young as two as CNN's Phil Mattingly now reports.
2: Good afternoon. With vaccination rates dropping in the country awash in vaccine supply, President Biden is setting a new and ambitious target to push the country out of the pandemic. Our goal by July
3: 4th is to have 70 percent of adult Americans with at least one shot and 160 million Americans fully vaccinated. An Independence Day goal
2: that would lead to a transformative change in how the country operates.
3: If we can continue to drive vaccinations up and case loads down, we'll need our masks even less and less.
2: Now, the administration would need to deliver roughly 100 million doses over the next two months to meet Biden's new target, officials say.
3: We're focused on convincing even more Americans to show up and get the vaccine that is available to them. But the administration's new
2: goal coming as vaccination rates have steadily fallen now sitting at 2.3 million in the rolling seven-day average. Officials say it's partly due to the sheer number of people that have already been vaccinated, but also underscores the long road ahead for a country that currently sits at close to 150 million individuals with at least one dose, and with the administration confronting vaccine hesitancy, the White House pressing new avenues to boost vaccines. From increasing walk-in vaccinations and walk-in pop-up clinics to directing hundreds of billions of dollars to bolster state and local efforts to reach underserved communities. And the push likely to get another boost next week, with the FDA poised to give Pfizer emergency use authorization for teenagers 12 to 15 years old, roughly 5% of the U.S. population. All coming as states around the country, from the northeast to the south to out west, are rapidly moving towards easing pandemic restrictions. A steady shift toward normalcy, with a clear timeline from Biden
3: now set. The light at the end of the tunnel is actually growing brighter and brighter. In two months, let's celebrate our independence as a nation and our independence from this virus.
2: And Jake, the administration is in the midst of a significant planning period for how they will roll out efforts to get those individuals age 12 to 15 should the FDA approve the emergency use authorization next week. This is going to include, according to administration officials, sending uh, vaccines directly to pediatricians, 20,000 pharmacy sites open right away, recognition that teens may have to be vaccinated in different places to get their two doses, and perhaps most importantly, a significant public information effort uh, for parents who have questions about whether or not uh, they should go through the vaccine or the efficacy of the vaccination program recognition, Jake, the administration knows this population will be crucial to their goals.
1: All right, Phil Mattingly, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, Let's talk about this with Dr. Paul Offit. He's a pediatrician, the director of the Vaccine Education Center at the Children's Hospital, Philadelphia, and a member of the FDA Vaccine Advisory Committee. Uh, Dr. Offit, thanks for joining us. Right now, about 56 percent of American adults have gotten at least one shot. President Biden's goal is 70 percent by July 4th. That's just two months. Is that achievable?
3: Yes. And it's important to achieve it. If we're really going to significantly slow the spread of this virus, I think we're going to need ultimately to be around 80 percent plus population immunity, which includes immunity, not only that induced by by vaccine, but also by natural infection. We do need to get there and the proof will be in the pudding next winter. If we don't get there to 80 percent, then I think you'll see another surge of this virus next winter. Of course, uh,
1: a big group waiting to be vaccinated right now are kids uh, under the age of 16. The FDA is expected to authorize the Pfizer vaccine for kids 12 to 15 in the coming days. Walk us through what kind of trials have to be completed in children 12 to 15 before the FDA will consider emergency use authorization and when you expect that will happen.
3: Right. So, so it was roughly Pfizer did a, a, a trial of 2,300 children, half of whom got the vaccine, half of whom got placebo. Um, what they found was that the vaccine was safe. It was well-tolerated. It induced an excellent immune response. There were 18 cases of COVID in that trial, all of which were in the placebo group. Um, so, you know, but for the flip of a coin, 18 children had to suffer that disease. Now, if this vaccine is approved through emergency use authorization by uh, by the FDA, then parents don't have to worry about that coin flip. They can take the risk out of it and protect their children.
1: Do you have any idea when that's going to happen?
3: I I don't. It seems to have been every, it was going to be the next day for the last week.
1: Right. Do the kids take the same amount of vaccine that adults do?
3: That's right. So so for the Pfizer vaccine, it's a 30 microgram dose with that second dose being given three weeks later, which is the way these trials were done. Is that the same as grownups? Yes, I'm sorry. That's exactly the same as grownups, yes.
1: Is the process different for getting a vaccine authorized for kids 12 to 15 than uh, it is for kids 2 to 11?
3: Yes, I think it will be. I think that for when you look at younger children, I think you're going to have to do much more extensive sort of so-called phase one studies, dose ranging studies. Here, the assumption was made, and it was a correct one, that the 12 to 15 year old really isn't biologically much different than the 16 to 17 or 18 year old in whom we knew what the, those data were for 30 micrograms of dose three weeks apart. I think as you get to younger ages, you're going to have to do more extensive dose ranging trials and also dose interval trials.
1: So you're a pediatrician. What are you going to tell your patients, uh, the parents? parents? parents who say, this is still emergency youth authorization. Uh, I'm worried about it. You know, my kids are okay. COVID doesn't hit kids as as hard as as it does uh, adults. What would you say to them? Well,
3: there's still more than 3 million children who've been infected by this virus. There there are more than 200 children who have died at the hands of this virus. And in addition, there is this so-called multi-system inflammatory disease, which we see in our hospital you know, fairly frequently, where children have a trivial infection, then a month later come back with high fever, as well as evidence of, of damage to heart, liver, uh, and kidneys. And uh, I have no doubt that, that that disease, which is similar to another multi-system inflammatory disease called Kawasaki disease, may well cause longer-term consequences. So if you can safely, effect, safely prevent this disease in children, then we should prevent it.
1: So you would recommend the the vaccine without reservation?
3: Yes, for the 12 to 15 year old,
1: yes. All right, Dr. Paul Offit, thank you so much. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. Just in, how Congresswoman Liz Cheney is reacting to the news that she might be forced out of her Republican House leadership position for the crime of telling the truth about the election and about the insurrection, and suspected attacks with an invisible energy beam causing palpable tension on Capitol Hill today. Details of a CIA briefing that's being called one of the most contentious in recent memory. In our politics lead today, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy of California caught on a hot mic, giving a blunt assessment of Congresswoman Liz Cheney's future in-house leadership. And it's not looking particularly good, all because Cheney has... Forcefully and accurately told the truth about the 2020 election and January 6th insurrection. Let's get right to CNN's Ryan Nobles. Ryan, uh, what is McCarthy saying?
4: Well, it's important to point out first, Jake, that this isn't something that McCarthy is saying publicly. For the most part, he's attempted to stay neutral in this battle over the future of the third-ranking House Republican Liz Cheney. But in an interview, prior to an interview, I should say, on Fox News this morning, uh, McCarthy was caught on a hot mic saying that he has had it with Cheney and that he has lost confidence in her. Perhaps the clearest sign yet that uh, that her status in House Republican leadership is numbered. It seems to no longer be a question of if, but when Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney is stripped of her leadership post in the House Republican Conference. Uh,
3: You know, the conference decides all that, we're here talking about small business.
4: Just a few months ago, minority leader Kevin McCarthy defended Cheney from the backlash of conservative members, angry over her vote to impeach former President Trump and her critique of his role in the January 6th insurrection. Now McCarthy seems content to let the conference's far-right members take Cheney out of her role as the third-ranking House Republican.
3: I have heard from members concerned about her ability to carry out the job as conference chair, to carry out the message. We all need to be working as one if we're able to win the majority.
4: Cheney, meanwhile, seems prepared to go down swinging, refusing to lie about Trump. This is about whether the Republican Party is going to perpetuate lies about the 2020 election and attempt to whitewash what happened on January 6th. Cheney's spokesperson, Jeremy Adler, said in a statement, Liz will not do that. That is the issue. As the pressure mounts, Cheney, in a closed-door meeting with donors, said that Trump's behavior on January 6th was just too much for her. It is a threat to democracy. What he did on January 6th is a line that cannot be crossed. The jockeying to replace Cheney is already underway. Sources tell CNN that New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik is already making calls about the job. Some Republicans would like to replace Cheney with another woman. In addition to Stefanik, Jim Banks, who currently chairs the influential Republican Study Committee, is being considered, as well as Jackie Orlowski of Indiana, and a dark horse, Mike Johnson of Louisiana, a prominent member of the Conservative Freedom Caucus. Meanwhile, Democrats are seizing on the GOP drama. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi sending an email accusing Republicans of looking for, quote, a non-threatening female seeking replacement for House Republican conference chair. So the question is, what happens next and how soon could it happen? Well, it's going to require a vote of the Republican conference to remove Cheney from her post. They are expected to meet sometime next week. And that's where we could see resolution to this issue.
1: Jake, And all those possible replacements you mentioned, they are all election liars. They're all saying that the election was stolen, falsely insinuating all sorts of nonsense, lying to the public. Uh, Ryan, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, Let's discuss this. Uh, Jamie Gengel, let me start with you because you have some breaking details about Liz Cheney's reaction to today's events, uh, as well as McCarthy's timeline for ousting her, punishing her for telling the truth. Uh, What are you hearing?
5: I'm hearing that it's over. Uh, The vote will happen next week and that they will vote her out. That's according to multiple Republican sources who tell me Kevin McCarthy and the Republican Party have once again caved to Donald Trump. And I just got off the phone with a source familiar with Liz Cheney's thinking. And the source said to me that this is not a surprise to her. She knew it was coming And she is, quote, not afraid of the consequences. The stakes are too high. Uh, Jake, as Mitt Romney said in a tweet earlier today, Liz refuses to lie. She has known this was coming from uh, the moment that she voted for impeachment and then doubled down and kept speaking out. She could have been quiet But for her, this is principle over politics.
1: And Gloria, a few months ago, uh, there was a vote whether or not to keep Liz Cheney in that position, and and she passed. You're talking to some allies of Cheney's who who voted for her then but might turn on their – what what are they saying? How how can they justify this?
6: Look, it it passed by more than two to one, and you know this is a a secret vote. But I've been talking to a bunch of Republicans, some of whom supported her – last time. And they told me, look, we're just kind of sick of this. Uh, She's embarrassing our leader. How dare she do that? We need to get back on message here. We need to be talking about what Biden is doing to America. And she is taking us off message. In other words, they're saying they want to turn the page. They don't want to look back. What they care about is power and not accountability in terms of January 6th. And this is all about winning the House back, and they believe she's getting in the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be clear, what they want to turn the page from is the fact that two-thirds of the House Republicans voted to disenfranchise voters in Pennsylvania and Arizona. We're all in on the lie. Of course they want to turn the page. Their behavior was disgraceful. Uh, Laura, uh, multiple sources have told CNN that Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, a New York Republican, she's interested in uh, Cheney's job. To be clear, Stefanik's a a staunch defender of Trump. She promoted the big lie. She voted against accepting the Electoral College votes for Joe Biden in Pennsylvania after the insurrection. Uh, Do you think that she's uh, the leading candidate to, to to replace Cheney?
7: That's what everyone's telling Politico right now and my colleague Melanie Zanona, who's been covering this in and out. And so all the Republicans that Politico is talking to are saying that Stefanik is the front runner right now to replace Cheney and that Stefanik is already making phone calls to Republicans about potentially supporting her. If Cheney is booted um, from her current role. Now, Stefanik is trying to say that, that uh, when she's in these conversations, that she isn't actively trying to whip against Cheney in what we expect will be upcoming vote come next week, but that she's ready uh, if, if they want her. So uh, You know, as you said, Jake, uh, and as Gloria, you said, this really, though, doesn't, you know, we put aside the palace intrigue, what this comes down to is the fact that Cheney is trying to eradicate uh, from the GOP, from her party, um, the big lie, and she's trying to make sure that it is something that isn't perpetuated as they move forward, but... All indications and the vast majority of the party are clearly on the opposite side of her and want to stay wedded to Trump.
1: Yeah. And Jamie, what are you hearing about Elise Stefanik or others who may want the job? I mean, Stefanik has certainly shown her willingness to tell lies to the American people.
5: You know, it's actually very interesting. I am being told that Elise Stefanik is the front runner and that she is actively calling people to get support. What's interesting is going back, um, Elise Stefanik used to be actually pretty close to Liz Cheney and they were uh, very much on the same page. She worked in the Bush White House as as conservative Republicans. Somewhere along the line, I started hearing over and over again from Republican sources. What happened to Elise Stefanik? She became a Trump loyalist. and, and this is where she wants to be. And to me, at the end of the day, this vote says, uh, and, and Elise Stefanik coming in, Donald Trump has taken back this uh, party and the House Republicans with a vengeance.
1: Yeah, and, and Gloria, I mean, people I know who worked in the Bush White House with Elise Stefanik say they don't even recognize her anymore. She's become so Trumpy. Uh, House Speaker Pelosi, a Democrat today, weighed in uh, on the Cheney situation. She accused McCarthy of wanting a woman in leadership that he doesn't view as a threat. Um, What do you make of it all?
6: I I think they probably want another woman in leadership if they're going to oust a woman. I mean, the optics of ousting Liz Cheney and not having a woman in leadership doesn't look great for them. Um, I think that McCarthy originally... Didn't see Liz Cheney as much of a threat. Now he finds her an annoyance and he's angry with her, as lots of Republicans are, because she will not let them forget. And that's the issue here. They want to forget it. They don't want to be held accountable for January 6th and their reaction to January 6th. They want to talk about whatever else they want to talk about, about Joe Biden. And Liz Cheney is standing there saying, stop. You can't cross the bridge until you say, yes, we're not going to forget this. And that was wrong. And that threatened democracy. And as a party, if we want to be true conservatives loyal to the Constitution of the United States, we have to say where we stand on this. Right, And um, they don't want to go there. Right. They just don't want to go there. But,
1: but to be clear, I mean, Liz Cheney gave a very forceful condemnation of Biden policies yes. uh, last Wednesday. Yep. It's not like she doesn't want to talk about Biden. She doesn't prefer to talk about how the Democrats are awful in terms of policy. Right. It's just, Laura, uh, that she does not want to pretend that the election lies and the insurrection are anything other than, you know, what they were. Um, I guess the other question, Laura, is... Where does Liz Cheney go from here? Is it possible she might not even be reelected? I mean, Trump and the Matt Gaetz wing of the House Republican Party, which I guess, despite his legal problems, remains ascendant. God forbid Liz Cheney tell the truth, but Matt Gaetz is doing everything he's doing. Uh, Might she actually lose her reelection to the House in Wyoming?
7: I think that's certainly possible, Jake. I mean, we've seen that when President Trump decides to get involved in these races, that he can definitely upset incumbents. And so that's definitely a possibility for Cheney, that she may not have a political future in the House. Now, there's the option that that she may seek other office. But again, uh, this party is very much the party of Trump still. It, it still is very much trying to repeat what he is saying, which to this day, he is trying to argue that Biden is not a legitimately one president. We all know that that is false, yeah. but that is what they are doing. And, and so by doing that, it's also potentially shrinking their base. So I know that conventional wisdom is that in a midterm, the opposing party has an easier time of flipping the House or flipping the Senate, but by continuing to play to trump they are potentially also shrinking shrinking their base
1: it's just incredible to watch the house republican party because i mean what's next that that the moon landing was faked is that going to be republican dogma now in the house uh, gloria laura uh, and uh, jamie thank you so much i appreciate it all uh coming up next cnn is aboard a ukrainian patrol boat as russia moves its aggressive tactics from land to sea stay with us In our worldly today, it's a region rife with conflict at the crossroads of Russia and Europe. And now CNN is getting rare access to a contested waterway at the center of some of the tension. Russia has been seizing Ukraine's land for years. Ever since Crimea was annexed in 2014, the Kremlin has been using its military and pro Russian separatists to seize land that is not theirs and to kill Ukrainians. And now Russia is moving its fight to the sea of asov of asov the kremlin claims its forces are just conducting military exercises but ukrainian sailors say the russian threat on those rough waters is palpable and frightening cnn's matthew chance boarded a ukrainian patrol boat to see this all firsthand
8: this is a first glimpse of putin's latest armada Bristling with weapons in disputed waters between Russia and Ukraine. Kremlin says these are just naval exercises. The missiles are real, and for Ukraine, so is the threat. Ukrainian vessels on the strategic sea of Azov have been warned to steer clear. I like get on board? No, I'll do it, I'll do it. But we gained rare access to a Ukrainian coastal patrol setting out in high seas to to challenge what they say is Russia's illegal naval cordon, something Moscow rejects. In recent weeks, the Ukrainian Navy says its boats have been harassed by Russia, with Moscow shifting its military focus. So we've come out here to the very rough Sea of Azov, as you can see. As Russian forces back their troops from the border of Ukraine. They're redeploying naval forces here into this sea of azov, raising concerns in Ukraine and around the world that the military pressure they're applying on Ukraine from the land is now moved to the sea. The commander of the patrol boat tells me how Russian forces are increasingly behaving aggressively. Blocking access, he says, to what should be shared waters, even stopping what are routine coastal patrols. On cue, the Russians make radio contact. This is boat 444, says the message, reminding you to keep a safe distance, confirm you're receiving the Russian voice dramatically. We see you, Ukrainian sailor responds, but we're proceeding according
2: to plan. All
8: right, so we've come to a stop now. You heard the captain there say there's a Russian ship in the horizon. You can just see it over there. It's a Russian Coast Guard ship. We're about two nautical miles away, which is just over two regular miles. And we can't go any closer because if we do, there could be some interception by the Russians to us. And I think the Ukrainian Coast Guard want to avoid that. It wouldn't be the first naval clash in the region. This is the extraordinary moment. The Russian Coast Guard rammed the Ukrainian tugboat in the area back in 2018. Russian ships also fired on Ukrainian naval vessels seizing three and escalating tensions in the seas off Crimea annexed from Ukraine in 2014. American ships have been challenged too. This a low pass by a Russian warplane witnessed from the deck of a US destroyer earlier this year. Now tensions on the seas are ratcheting up once more. Now, just... There's heightened alert on dry land too. At the Ukrainian port of Mariupol, we saw these Marines on force protection drills. Naval officials say new Russian deployments at sea are forcing them to step up security and plan for a Russian attack. Last two weeks, yeah, uh, it became more more dangerous. More dangerous. Yeah, because Russian Federation sent uh, to the Black Sea. Yeah, uh, several landing ships from uh, Baltic Sea and North uh, North Sea. So the Russians have sent landing ships, landing ship. into the Sea of Azov or to the Black Sea. Yeah. They're saying that that's for exercises, though. Yeah, officially no it's exercises. Yeah, but these sh- ships are uh, uh, still here yeah. in this area, and uh, in our uh, vision that uh, it uh, it can be dangerous for yeah. uh, this area. Back on the coastal patrol boat, we change course, safely away from the Russian fleet. What happens if we don't... Uh... Not...
5: I don't... <laughs> I don't have... Uh... Not good, not good. It's maybe not good. Yeah. Not good at
8: all when Ukraine feels so threatened on this turbulent sea of trouble. Well, Jake, because of those large scale exercises, the Russians say they're sealing off the Sea of Azov for the next six months until October. Ukrainian officials that I've spoken to say that's absolutely outrageous. Uh, They say that it is an unprecedented threat to the country and represents a creeping occupation of waters, Jake, that are meant to be shared.
1: And Matthew, Secretary of State Blinken is going to be where you are in Kiev, Ukraine, tomorrow in a show of support to Ukraine. Do Ukrainians think uh, this visit is important? Do you think this might hurt the relationship with Russia? What, what's the thinking there? I, I think they do
8: think it's, it's important that that show of support from the United States and from the, the Biden administration, because they, they hope it will bolster uh, them in their standoff with Russia. But... I mean, remember the Ukrainians say it time and again, they don't just want symbolic acts. They don't just want kind, supportive words from the United States. They want money to prosecute this this war that they're conducting in the East. They want military material and they want diplomatic support from Washington as well.
1: All right, Matthew Chance, thank you so much, appreciate it. A CIA briefing to lawmakers gets heated. The subject suspected invisible energy attacks on Americans, including one that took place near the White House. What information, or lack thereof, caused so much heat? That's next. In the politics lead, a contentious briefing behind closed doors about tragic and mysterious assaults on Americans, two sources tell CNN. Senators were demanding CIA briefers tell them more about bizarre episodes that have dated back to 2016. Cases, as you might recall, were first reported in Cuba U.S. diplomats and intelligence officials inexplicably coming down with debilitating headaches and vertigo and nausea. CNN confirmed the U.S. government is also investigating at least two similar incidents on American soil, including one near the White House. CNN's Kylie Atwood at the Pentagon, I mean at the State Department, has this new reporting for us. And Kylie, tell us about this briefing and and how it went so quickly off the rails.
9: Yeah, well, Jake, this got incredibly heated. It was described to me as one of the most contentious briefings in the recent history of this committee. And so the senators were frustrated and felt urgent about this matter for a few reasons. First of all, one of the things that was covered is the fact that these incidents are ongoing and appear to be increasing. Now we have learned that there are previously unreported suspected cases that happened this year in Europe. That means this isn't just a rear view mirror issue for the U.S. government. It is a live and urgent matter. And the U.S. government still hasn't definitively identified who the perpetrator is, right? Current and former officials believe Russia is to blame. The US government hasn't said that. But these senators uh, last week during this briefing, this closed door briefing with CIA briefers, were frustrated that the agency wasn't sharing more details with them. They were also baffled by the fact that some of the details were just being shared with them and they were demanding one thing that's really important accountability they believe there needs to be accountability at the agency for those who could have mishandled the early incidents here and the intelligence committee didn't respond to our detailed report here but they did put out a statement last week about this briefing and they said that they are committed to getting to the bottom of this they noted that it appears that these incidents have been increasing and the cia pointed us to comments from CIA Director Bill Burns. He says this is a priority for him. But after this briefing, it's clear that there are ongoing questions about how the CIA has handled this and will handle this. Jake?
1: All right, Kylie, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Let's uh, talk more about this with Phil Mudd, who once worked counterterrorism for the CIA. And Phil, you can't really blame senators for wanting to know more. If these attacks are now taking place near the White House, I have to say, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds a little too complex to be by the Cuban government.
10: No, I'd agree with that. And you're raising one of the fundamental questions I have. You're right. If, if you were the Congress, you might be mildly frustrated. But one of the most heated hearings that anybody can remember, Jake, let's go through this. Do we know who did it? No. Do we know why they did it? No. Do we have access to a device that might have done this? Evidently not. Have we ever Uh, picked up the emissions from one of these devices. Sounds like not. What's the sample size of the number of people who have been subjected to this? Seems pretty small. We don't exactly know what's going on here. And people are jumping to say, you're hiding stuff from me. That's the Senate. It looks like an energy directed weapon. How do we know that? And it's a national security problem. We don't even know what it is. I think we need to slow the roll a little bit. I'd agree. I doubt it's Cuba, though.
1: Just last week, Biden's new director of national intelligence was asked about these mysterious incidents in a public Senate hearing. Uh, Take a listen to what she had to say.
6: I completely understand. Getting the information is critical for you to be able to respond to these issues and ensure that you're able to make good decisions. Our concern, obviously, with the classification is because we believe that either it's protecting sources and methods and it's critical to our national security and we'll have to figure that out with you.
1: The Biden administration says that they they want to take a whole of government approach towards figuring out what in the world is causing these attacks. Does the classified nature of this topic suggest to you that there is definitively a bad actor at play?
10: No, it doesn't. It's it sounds to me like if you're looking at the kind of uh, effects that this has had on individuals and there is a, a question we haven't talked about, Jake, Whether the CIA and others dealt with those individuals appropriately, my guess is no, they slow rolled it. But the question is, if you're getting information about the effect on somebody's brain of some of these weapons, you can start to draw conclusions about what kind of directed energy might have caused that and start to realize this is bigger than any person, bigger than any company. The most likely, not the certain, but the most likely uh, organization that would have orchestrated this would be a state, somebody like
1: China, Russia, Iran. So far, the only real evidence we have is the similarity in the cases. Is there even enough there to try to piece together who or what might be behind this?
10: That's a big, the the big difference you have is between what you think and what you know. There's two pieces of this. The scientists have not come up with certain conclusions about what causes. That's one of the challenges here. They've just said the most likely scenario we can come up with, with is directed energy. So you don't know what it is, but you come to the, the, the what the difference between, as I said, think and know is you think if it's directed energies. There, there's only a certain number of countries that could develop a device. that's this sophisticated. And then you start to narrow down very quickly. And very few of those
1: countries are adversaries. And you start to get in again. Places like Russia and China, Jake. All right. Phil Mudd, thanks so much. Appreciate it. A subway train crashing to the ground, killing more than 20 people. Now we're learning this part of the subway system was not even that old. So how did this happen? Stay with us. In our Worldly Today, Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador says no one gets impunity and nothing should be hidden from the public as investigators in Mexico try to determine the cause of a horrific train accident in Mexico City last night. An overpass collapsed under a moving subway train in the southeastern part of the city, killing at least 24 people and injuring dozens more. CNN's Matt Rivers is at the scene. This part of the subway system is relatively new. Matt, do, do authorities have any idea how this happened?
11: No, Jake, so far they're still pretty far away from having those kind of answers. They don't even know what the final death toll is going to be yet. That number you just mentioned has ticked up steadily all day long and it could go higher. And when we show you this surveillance video of this crash, you can see how bad this was. Take a look at this, it's only about eight seconds long, but you can see the moment when this crash happens, it was sudden, it was unexpected, and it was horrific with those two trains collapsing uh, on, as that overpass collapsed. And I wanna show you what it looks like right now. Let me move the camera past me. You can see that slope behind that heavy crane that they brought in. That is the overpass, that, what, that is what fell. They managed to get both train cars out of there earlier today with some heavy equipment. But that it just gives you an idea that just collapsed immediately. And that's why this was so horrific for the people involved. You talk about the investigation though, Jake, it's going to center on the fact that there have been systemic problems with this line of Mexico's metro system for years now. It was only inaugurated in 2012. Structural issues uh, designated in 2014. There was an earthquake here in 2017. Many people here feel that damage from that earthquake wasn't properly fixed. And we spoke to one police officer who lives in this neighborhood who told us that everybody knew that this wasn't a safe platform to use, and a safe line to use. But many people don't have a choice. A lot of people here thought that this was inevitable. Mexico City's government says they're bringing in an outside firm to help audit this line. But, Jake, that's the kind of thing you think they would have done years ago if everybody knew this could be a problem.
1: All right. Matt Rivers in Mexico City. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. New today, the House Republican leader caught on a hot mic talking about Congresswoman Liz Cheney and sounding a lot like Trump when he knows the mics are on. And he lost the White House, but he may get back his bully pulpit, a key decision coming that could mean the return of Trump to at least one part of social media. Stay with us.
0: When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness